0: If you're visiting with us today, just to let you know, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we started with, um, in the first 11 chapters, we saw the creation, the fall, the flood, and then the nations established, and really, along the way, we said, man, if you look at chapters 1 through 11, what you find out is that the um, mankind, as you look at mankind, you see that mankind has fallen. You see, there's a lot of brokenness within mankind. And you look at the story and you're thinking, Lord, what are you going to do? And so what God did was He chose from all the peoples of the world, He chose a man, Abram. And He called out to him. And He said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to give you land. And there's just kind of a list of things that we would say. He said, I'm going to establish the kingdom of God with you. It's an amazing story and we see him say to Abram, look, get up, get all your stuff and you go to this land that I'm promising you and you wait on this promise to be fulfilled. It's a marvelous story. But what we find is right behind that, Abram did what the Lord said and he picked up everything and he followed the Lord and then he enters into a time of testing and in that time of testing is what we're going to see today and we're going to see him struggle and we're going to say good night. What do we learn from this? And what do we see about God from this? And there's marvelous things that we'll see. So if you would just bow with me and let's pray together as we start this morning. Father, we are thankful that You've given us this story. It is for our good that we might know how to live and walk with You. I just pray, Lord, that You'd let us see how we struggle just like Abram did here in this story. And yet, we've seen Your marvelous grace over and over and over again. I pray You'd let us see that more clearly today that we would be moved by Your Spirit as we look at Your Word to walk in greater faithfulness and to trust more in You as a great provider. In Christ's name, Amen. Have you ever stepped out in faith and and really the next moment you're like really courageous and you say, I'm going to live for the Lord and I've done this a bunch of times where I just think, well, I'm going to share my faith today or speak this to somebody and then like the next few hours I'm like off. The map, You know, I'm not even walking in the ways of the Lord. And I think, what is going on with me? It's almost like I'm kind of really faithful for that moment. And then I just walk in unbelief. And I battle with that over and over. My life sometimes feels like a roller coaster going up and down trying to follow the Lord and be faithful to Him. It's it's one of those things where we find ourselves over and over and over, I think, struggling. Now, this morning I want to ask a question. We're going to spend a little bit of time introducing this topic because I think it's important to ask some questions about our fears of God versus our fear of men. And one of the things you'll see as you you really look at your life and as I read some questions, you're going to have to stop for a moment and say, look, what ways do I fear men rather than fear God? And I think that's important. There was a book written a number of years ago by a man named Ed Welch, and it's called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And I think some of us, if we're honest here this morning, will ask some of those questions and you'll think, you know, what does that look like in my life when people are really big and God is small? And I'll ask a few questions. You can think about them and then we'll move through and look at Abram's struggle with seeing people big and God small. You ready? Question number one. Have you ever struggled with peer pressure? The need for the perfect spouse, the perfect child, the perfect job title, the house in a hip neighborhood, the sculpted body. Second, are you overcommitted do you find it hard to say no when wisdom indicates that you should because you're thinking about what others might think of you? Third, do you need something from your spouse, your friend? Do you need them to listen to you, to respect you? As you keep moving, I'll just move through these questions. Is self esteem a critical concern for you? Do you ever feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? the sense of being exposed even among the apparently successful is something you see over and over are you always second guessing decisions because of what others might think are you afraid of making mistakes that will make you look bad in the, in other people's eyes do you feel empty or meaningless do you experience love hunger here again if you need others to feel you you're controlled by them do you get easily embarrassed do you ever lie especially the little white lies what about cover-ups where you're not technically lying with your mouth, but you're lying to in some way preserve yourself? All of these things are the fear of man. Just keep going. Are you jealous of other people? Because you look at them and you see their successes and then you look at yourself and you think, I'm worthless. You can just make the list and continue forward. Do, do other people often make you angry or depressed? Or are they making you crazy because around you you're, you're afraid of them and you're kind of walking around almost on eggshells? Do you avoid people? You want to get away so if you can hide out, you won't have to, it won't have to expose who you really are. In some way, you're kind of moving away from others because the further you can get away from them, the less you have to deal with who you really are. All of these are examples of the fear of man. It's it's all around us. We see it in so many different ways, and I just I keep mentioning all those because I think it's important to say it now. Last little question here: Have you ever been too timid to share your faith in Christ because others might think you're irrational? The list goes on, but you kind of begin to slow down along enough, and you ask a question: What am I? Re- what really dominates me is it the fear of God or the fear of man? Now sometimes it's wise to be afraid of man, like. There's certain places in Texas or Canada, I'm not going around at night, walking around carrying you know, wads of cash up. Oh, Yay, look at me. Look at all this. Come, get, come after me. I'm not going to do that. There's, there are places, honestly, I lock my doors at night. That's wise. I mean, you always want to do that. There's a helpful thing about that. But there's a place where phys- being physically hurt can consume our lives. That's one way we fear men. Another one is that somebody might reject me. And so I'm never going to step out and speak to anyone, talk to anyone, step out of my comfort zone because I might be rejected. They might see me and say, oh man, I really want to reject them today and so I hope they speak to me so I can turn my back and walk away. We have all these odd fears. Another one is that we might be exposed. And somebody might... There's some people who are really silent because they don't want to expose themselves. Why? Because if they do, someone might really see them for who they are and just... They don't want to be around me. Right? So we see all different ways that we fear men. It happens with sometimes the most arrogant person is the most afraid. Did you know that? Somebody that's really proud is always boasting about what they've done. Why are they doing that? Often, it's to put up this front so that people think more of them because they're afraid that somebody might look down upon them. Maybe they have some experience in life. And so, there's just lists. Some of the most bold people and some of the quietest people Fear man like unbelievably. And all of us find ourselves in that way. Now, why should we fear the Lord? You're saying, Jared, why are you going through all this? Because when we get into Genesis 12, I think that's at the heart of what's going on with Abram. So why should we instead fear the Lord? It, it, the Scripture says over and over in Psalms is this. It tells us that the heart of serving God is a fear of Him. The Scripture tells us in Psalms, the Lord is our salvation. He really the scripture tells us that he breaks all rulers all are going to be submissive to him. We see that in Psalms. He is more awesome and powerful than anyone around. Over and over there's stories in the scripture of how God is ruler of the whole universe. And not only that, he is going to silence all. All will stand under God's judgment in the end. And so we better fear him. Not only that, the Scripture in Proverbs 1 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He is a help to those who find refuge in Him and trust in Him who fear His name. He will bless those who fear Him. I mean, there's just overwhelming Scriptural basis for saying don't fear men, but fear God. Because He is the One who rules over all and in the end, He is the One you stand before. But not only that, he is the one Is those who put their trust in Him and fear Him and rest in Him. It is the place that you find comfort and joy everlasting. Now, the other thing that Scripture tells us about Him, He is holy, majestic, sovereign, all-powerful. He's over all. Everything about Him we see, He's merciful, kind, faithful, loving. The question is, why would we ever fear men? But if you're honest here today, man, you struggle with that. I mean, it's a battle not to look at what others might say and and really make man really big in your eyes and God very small. Again, this morning with Abram, the Egyptians are huge and God is very small in His eyes. So we're going to look at that. And So turn to chapter 12, verse 10. If you're not already there, let's look at it together. It says there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. Now, if you had lived in this time period in that place or even today, there are famines, but not only that, in the Scripture you see famines over and over again. They're going to battle with that and there will be a famine in the land. And really what God says is the land that I promised them has rolling hills and all these different things. And it's is—it's a place where certainly it's flowing with milk and honey, but it does have the potential for famine. What was cool about Egypt which that often you'll see people go there is it has, and you can look today, get a map, and you'll see the Nile River running through. Often the Nile River would flood, and it would flood, and honestly, it would kind of water the crops. But not only that, they had a, a way of irrigating things from the Nile. And so if there was famine or something like that, they would send water through irrigation, and, and they would be able to kind of survive. It made Egypt very powerful in that time, and it kept them um, in, at a place of, of, of prominence, you might say. Now, sometimes in the Bible, going to Egypt really bad. Sometimes it's good. If you're going to be studying with us in Genesis all the way through, you'll see there's a time where the children of Israel who are Abram's descendants are going to go to Egypt under God's direction during a time of famine and they're going to spend many years there. And so we understand that sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes going back to Egypt is very sinful. But this morning as we're looking at that, I don't know that we know exactly what's taking place with Abram. But this is what we know a famine hits he gets i mean really to the point where he's potentially going to starve to death he has a fairly large group of people he's in charge of so he packs his stuff up and says i'm going to go there i'm going to sojourn there it kind of has that deal he's going to live there for a while and so he's going to probably try to outlive this famine but not only that there's probably fears going on in his mind about whether he's even going to be able to survive and we see this over throughout this this point so as we go to the scene like it's going to, well, this may be scene 1 in verse 11 when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will not, They will let you live. Say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, he knows he's an immigrant. He's going to go into a land. oftentimes, actually in Scripture, there's a, there are times where God says, look, this is what you do when someone's sojourning in the land, why? Because someone who's an immigrant, they can take advantage of them, right? He doesn't have any family around, any powerful people. He's going to enter into a land, and they could take advantage of him at any moment. Now, what's interesting, too, about this is that we know that Sarah, like Abram's 75, and Sarah's 65, and he's saying, like, my wife's so beautiful that when we go into the land, this 65 year old lady, which honestly, I know that beauty at all different stages of life, right? But you usually, don't look at a sixty-five-year-old woman and say, Woo, son, they're going to kill me over you." You're so pretty. So your first thing is like, "Man, Abram, man, you're a little bit kind of crazy about your wife. You got the rose-colored glasses on, you know." But we, get, y'all know that song, right? Yeah, you're not. If you're not country, you don't know that. No, but anyway, you're a little bit as you're moving through that. You're kind of asking the question: Is what's this going to look like? as they're going in? I mean, is Abram a little bit confused? But sometimes even in the ancient world as you would study it, you understand that like they, their view of beauty might be different in many different ways. There, there was something about her stature and the place that she was in life and all that. But also, she certainly must have been just a very beautiful lady. And so he fears for his life in this moment. Now, this is what he says to her. Say you are my sister. Now, in Genesis 20, you don't want to go there, I'll just tell you. In verse 12, Abram pulls this story again. He pulls this particular thing again. And he says that she is the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. She became my wife. So he's, he's kind of telling a half-truth. I mean, she is his sister, but in, in some sense, you kind of have to ask a question like, why is he not telling the whole truth? Of course, we know and, and <laughs> we know why he's not doing that. Why is that? Because in his mind, maybe he heard some stories. You go over there to Egypt, dude, your wife is going to be taken and you're going to be killed. I mean, that, he may have heard that story. He may have heard all different kinds of things about how crazy the, the Egyptians were, how they would do that on any day. But what we know just studying some history and stuff, I mean, it was a very serious offense to take someone's wife. Adultery in the ancient world was an extreme offense. And so it's honestly kind of hard to understand are these unfounded fears with Abram. Now, Have you ever had a chance to think about some meeting you're about to have? And you know, when you show up to that meeting, it's probably not going to go good. And the longer you go without entering in, I'm like, I don't want to show up, man. I don't want to go. The longer I have to think about it, the worse it is. I mean, it is bad. I mean, Anna all the time, she's like, you are a crazy... I mean, sometimes not. she don't like to say you're crazy, but she's saying you're crazy, Right? And all the time, like she'll say, like, why are you building this case in your head for how horrible this situation is going to be? And it could be something really small, but in my mind, it's extremely great. Now, the reality is, Abram might have gone there and there was a potential that death would have come. And that may have been something that the Egyptians were known for. We do not completely know. But, I, mean, I just think it's important that you see that. Now, another thing just to kind of note, I think it's important when you're thinking about this text. Is he might have been thinking, and it would you would say, look, he's using his mind and he's using his wisdom in that world. You show up in Egypt, you go there. All these guys are suitors are looking and saying, boy, look at that woman that just showed up. Isn't she nice? And so you can see him standing in line there, and Abram is going to have. Time, this is my sister. He's going to have time to work a deal with one of them, right? But in his mind, maybe he's thinking, look, I'll be able to kind of fend these guys off for a time and we'll get enough food to be provided for and then we'll check out of here. We don't know exactly what's going on in his mind. We see that throughout Scripture where this kind of takes place. But ultimately, where does all this begin? Before Abram ever is faced with a difficulty in his mind. And you and I you would be honest, I mean, if we're really honest, oftentimes when we're thinking and you have time to think about something, you think this is what it's going to be like, this is what I have to do, and this is what I need to do, and this is what I need to do. And we build this great plan rejecting what we see in Abram here is rejecting the, the, the truth of God, rejecting the, the, the promise of God. In Genesis chapter 12 where he says, I'm going to take care of you, Abram. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. You have Me behind you. I am walking with you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do great things for you. As we read this morning, even for those of us in Christ, those who are children or offspring of Abram, God says, I am with you. I will fight for you. I am standing on your behalf. I am the sovereign ruler of the universe. You can trust in Me. I reign over all. There is no meeting that you're going to face that as my child, that I'm not going to be with you and accomplish my will for your life. But here, Abram's saying, I've got to rest in my wisdom. I'm going to reject that promise. I'm not going to trust God. Rather, I'll trust myself. I'll come up with this plan. I'll start lying. I'll abandon God's ways. Do my own thing. And see how that turns out. He will lie instead of tell the truth. He will lead his wife to lie. He will act like a man of the world. You ever see anybody do that in business or in their sports? Or you see somebody do that at home? Where they're worrying about something, so they come up with some way to twist things so that it looks like it goes in my favor? I mean, you've seen it over and over and over. A man might even lead his whole family to be lying and deceiving so that they might trust in their own hands rather than in God. What a dangerous place to be. So, second scene we see here, verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, now his plans are about to fail, right? Verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. What happens? there is some level where his fear was founded. I mean, he just didn't have the rose-colored glasses on. They thought, man, she is beautiful. Look at her. And so <clears throat> the, the leaders start seeing her and, wow, look at this. And so uh, maybe they want to please Pharaoh and they say, look, there's this beautiful woman that just shows up from, from nowhere. We don't know, but she's here and you ought to take her. And so he does. He takes her for himself. Now, it, 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 we don't know. Does that mean that, that he actually like is just going to bring her into his harem? Oftentimes, like a king in those days, what they would do is they would make alliances. and what, Oftentimes, they would make these alliances and they would, they would end up with people from all different parts of the world and, and they, would, they, would, uh, they would say, okay, this will give me more power or more wealth or whatever. And so they begin to make those kinds of alliances. And he does this. Again, we don't know if there's a formal introduction or if she's just brought into his harem. The Scripture doesn't exactly tell us what takes place. But all this is going on now. There were. There's usually like for her brother that, that Pharaoh then would say, "Okay, I'm going to give him like a present, almost like a wedding present." Okay, I want to hand him this, and then sometimes, oftentimes, like an Abram would come back with something, and he would bless him in some way. But we see him begin to bless him. But honestly, do you think Pharaoh? I mean, uh, Abram was excited about this that he would that he would have his plans have failed. All this takes place, and all of a sudden, now he's getting all these things. But he's losing his wife. There would be no excitement about this. You could just imagine all the questions running through his head, and he's just wondering how how did this turn out this way? What in the world is going on? There's just a million things that you, you could think of. Now, you've ever done this again, devise this plan that abandoned God's trusting in God and, and, and trusted in yourself, and then decided to go against God's ways, do your own thing and acted like a man of the world. You may have done this. You may have had this idea, look, Sunday morning's cool. We come in here. We talk little Sunday school things. Everybody answers, Jesus. That's the answer. Jesus. Isn't this great? Let's just trust in Jesus. And then come Monday morning, all that's out the window. You say, I'm going to trust in myself. I'm going to go the ways of this world. I love that. I treasure that. And if you're going to make it in this present world, you must go that way way. Psalm chapter 1 says this, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. What we see in Abram here is a delighting in the ways of man rather than trusting in the Lord, rather than walking in the Lord's ways. But this, the righteous man, he walks in the Lord's ways, he meditates On God's truth, day and night, He is like a tree firmly planted that yields its fruit in season. It's a beautiful thing that we see in this text. But Abram's not an example of that here. He's just not. Abram is struggling to walk in obedience to God. He is choosing disobedience over trusting God. Third scene. So let's go to see. You're kind of left here and you're going, oh my word, what is he doing? Why would He do that? God had just said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do good for you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to confront anybody that tries to come after you, Abram. They're going to face Me. And He rejects God's wisdom here. But what does the Lord do? You would say, maybe you'd think, man, well, the Lord just says, forget it. Abram, is just he is a sissy. And he is not going to make a stand. He is not going to walk with Me. Just let him go his own way but that would go against God's promise. Because what God promised to Abram was not based upon Abram's merit. Abram could not make his way to God by his strength and resolve, but he must trust only in what God had promised to him. Verse 17, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So so Pharaoh called Abram and said, Why is this that you've done this to me? Why did you tell me that she was your? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave the men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, again, we'll see this. What's God doing? God is fighting for him, even though he's not faithful even though he's struggling with obedience to God in this moment, God is fighting for him because God is going to make true on His promise. And He does that over and over in Scripture. If you and I studied Scripture enough, you would see over and over, God is showing Himself great. Even when we are faithless and unfaithful, He is showing Himself powerful. If you kind of study this story, you know that later in Genesis, as I said, The children of Abram are going to go and they're going to go into the land of Egypt and God is at some point down the road in Exodus. He's going to do this again. He is going to face a Pharaoh who's a different Pharaoh, no question about it. This Pharaoh who says, I'm going to hold on to these people and I'm going to keep punishing them. And God says, no, you're not. And he's almost like a puppet in the hands of God as God hardens his heart and He hardens his heart. And God says, I'm going to get My people out of this place and I will bless them. And Pharaoh, you think you're going to continue to bring curse on them. No, you are not. I am fighting for My people and you will let them go. You see that text and it just blows you away. God is going to defend Abram when He does not deserve it. He is going to do a great and mighty thing with him. Abram was going to leave blessed even though he did not deserve that. Now, if you and I were to be honest, if you were to look over the walking of your life as you walk through your life, if God has called you to Himself and you're His child, you know and I know what it's like to say, man, I've been so faithless at times, and yet God has remained faithful and He's held on to me and He's strengthened me through all of this Life. Now what are we supposed to take away from this? I think that's one of the things that's really key. You take away from this that God is faithful to His promise. What God says He's going to begin, He will finish. If He starts a work in you, if God has saved you by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, He's brought you into His family, He's going to preserve you. You certainly don't want to say, oh, well, God's going to preserve me so I can do whatever I want. That's not what you learn from the story. What you learn from this story is even in your failure and even in your failure to obey God, oftentimes He is moving and no doubt always working on your behalf and He is finishing what He started. Now, Romans 8 says this, and I think it's a wonderful thing to remember, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What do you learn from Abram's folly? What you say is, no, God is faithful to His promise. I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm going to rest in the One who fights for me, who will defend me, who will bless me and is working on my behalf. I am resting in Him. What God says is true. And He will keep His promise to His people. I don't want to be like Abram. I've learned this lesson from him. And I know this, that whoever God says, I'm going to hold on to you, for those who are in Christ, who've turned from their sins, trusted in Jesus alone for their salvation, there is only one hope for them. And that hope is this, that they rest in the One who nothing can separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then you look at people in the Scripture like Daniel. Daniel who entered all kinds of testing and trials. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went down in the fiery furnace trusting God. You say, I want to do that. Or Esther, who really, like there's this point where she thinks, if I go in and enter in and speak on behalf of the people and go before the king, will God really do something? And we see over and over, Esther is rescued and she is saved. You see Ruth do the same thing. You see Rahab in the Scripture. All of these people who are trusting and walking with the Lord. I want to read for you. Turn to Hebrews 11 if you will. If you've never been there uh, in in the Scripture, you just go all the way towards the New Testament. Go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You keep moving almost to the end of the Scripture there in Hebrews chapter 11. And I just want you to just read this because it's to inspire you to walk in the ways of God. Hebrews 11.32 And as you go there, you just understand a lot of people call this the, the hallmark of faith or the the people of faith, you kind of say, look, this is like a group here. You kind of walk into a gallery and say, this man walked by faith, and this one walked by faith, and this one walked by faith. Listen to Hebrews 11.32. It is written in the context of a church who is struggling to trust God. It would be like it's writing to you and as you walk out today, you know that you're going to face all kinds of ways that you might fear men And then so we pull you in and say, listen, I want you to understand this. God is faithful to His promise. And not only that, as you're moving into this text, you want to see here's people who trusted in God and He provided. 11.32 And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, Stop the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept the release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, that's what He's going to say. You hear all those stories. Think on those. Therefore, listen, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated down at the right hand of the throne of God. see that this scripture this morning is saying to you stop for a moment you meditate on the promise of God that he is with his people that he is going to do something for them he is strengthening them and he's holding on to them and he's fighting for them and they have a future and a hope you people listen to this so that as you as a people want to go out and And you're going to face trials and you're going to wonder about your life and you're going to wonder about your livelihood and you're going to wonder what people are thinking about you or what they might say about you. You stand firm in God. You trust in God. Don't be like Abram. Be like those who stood firm in the face of trial and you'll be obedient and you'll be faithful in this present age looking to Jesus, the One who endured it all for you so that you might be saved. You rest in Him who, who, who was laid? he really laid his life down on our behalf you trust in him you follow him you endure now you trust him by faith and you rest in his sovereign plan over and over we see Jesus shown as the one who defeated our greatest enemy even death but he was raised again by the power of of God. God shows us His love for us even though while we were yet sinners, Christ died. God murdered His Son for us. God killed His Son. You might say killed His Son for us so that we might be saved. Why would you ever fear man? That's the question you ask today. Why would you ever fear any other person on the planet? If you begin to fear God, you will live in ways that you have never dreamed before. You will be able to see things that you've never seen before. You'll be able to experience joys that you've never experienced before because when you begin to fear God more, you live most to His glory and you seek to extend His kingdom by proclaiming the Gospel. What a joy that would be. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that we have nothing to fear. We thank You, Lord, that You promised us that whatever we face, that You're with us. That You stand with us. That You're fighting for us. That You want the best for us. I pray we would lay aside any trust in ourselves and run the race looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Christ's name, Amen. If you would